Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And today we take a look at the Grand Order of Deity Smiters, a good old driving speed, Gary's Ordinary Dumpling Shop. Excelsior. I do not know what G-O-D-S stands for still. I feel like that's only going to be revealed in the last issue, and that feels very Hickman, and it's going to be obvious in hindsight. I mean, the most Hickman thing would be having it actually mean like a bunch of things, and its true meaning isn't clear until you see all of its multiple meanings. Mm. Well, let's let's hope. (laughs) (laughs) Wheels Within Wheels was the title of uh, one of Hickman's early uh, Marvel successes. Shields Within Shields. Shields within shields. We are talking today uh, about the recent uh, run of new Marvel issues by Mr. Jonathan Hickman, who's obviously a favorite of this podcast. Yes, we've been waiting with bated breath to see what he was going to be doing at Marvel when he, you know, came back because he had announced it. And we knew there was a second project that he had pitched and was accepted and was going to run. But he first wanted to do all the X stuff. And we based like two years worth of predictions, maybe even three on it. Yeah, I remember I was thinking through all the different options of like big Marvel pillars that Hickman hadn't gotten his hands on yet. Yeah. And the three most obvious ideas that I rotated through between for all those years was um, he had never done Spider-Man. And that seems like. If you're going to do all the big Marvel ones, you should do Spider-Man, right? If you did Avengers, Fantastic Four, and X-Men. Mm-hmm. I think Spider-Man's kind of the fourth uh, pillar. And he um, hadn't done, like, Guardians of the Galaxy space stuff, and that had been really lost for many years. Although I feel like it's kind of uh, found a groove again. Yeah, and he's always really liked big space stuff. Yeah. I mean, he made Infinity as an event, which is like the ultimate big space stuff event. It's not the biggest space stuff event, but it is like Hickman doing like a lot of spaceships shooting lasers. Pew pew. Yeah, it's a real pew pew Hickman book, which is great. And absolutely incomprehensible to anyone in isolation. I thought it was more straightforward than most of his stories in that Avengers run. Uh, Yeah. My third prediction, and one, and I think secretly my favorite one, because I have no idea what Hickman Spider-Man would look like. That seems um, crazy to me, or it did before the issues we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And Hickman Guardians could literally be anything, whatever the fuck he wanted, because it's all of space, and he would just go. Yeah, correct. But my favorite idea was Hickman on Doctor Strange. Hickman wrote one solidly Doctor Strange-focused issue. It was one of the Avengers annuals during that run. Okay. And it was just the one of the best single, single issues of Doctor Strange I'd ever read. If I came out with my top 10 single issues of Doctor Strange, uh, that Hickman annual would be very highly ranked. And When was that one? Oh, let's see. I'm trying to remember it. because So when I read Hickman's Avengers, probably the yeah. wrong way to do this, I read it on my... Uh, 2014 smartphone in guided view well and i'm sure guided view was a very new invention at that time right it was it was also the only way i could read anything on my phone and not have it be just swallowed up by the tininess of the screen 
Especially with Hickman's dense dialogue. I found the issue. Yeah, and I found the issue is New Avengers Annual Number 1 from 2014. Okay. I think I remember it. Was that the one where he's, like, running around through different... Uh, Doctor Strange does that a lot. He he goes around, he's, like, popping into different places, gathering materials, speaking cryptically... Right. But the thing is, uh, Hickman and that Avengers run was all about how Marvel has these like kings, these uh, uber benches who think they know better than the people around them. Mm-hmm. And that's Doctor Strange. But then the, the infinite world of magic would give him such an interesting space to explore with his favorite type of character. That's true. That's true. And, you know, again, you never know what to expect with that because it's right. It's also magic. So you've got a whole new set of principles to work on. Yeah, and uh, I love it. So we should also mention, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Hickman books that came out that aren't X-Men pertaining to this. (laughs) So did you read, right after he left Marvel, he immediately came out with a creator-owned book. Was that Decorum? Yeah, Decorum. Did you try to read Decorum? I did. I read it each time an issue came out, and because of the distance between every issue and this was like Hickman firing on all cylinders of uh, absolute obtuseness. I could not tell you what that series was about. I couldn't tell you what happened in it. There were some assassins, I think. Uh, Mike Huddleston drew in like five different styles, which was an artistic feat. Couldn't tell you what happened. Beautiful to look at. Full of random data pages, entire star systems. There was an egg. There was an emergence. uh, And there was a fight over who would get to control it. And there were these other beings that were just like big geometric shapes. Yeah, that's decorum. Yeah, I bounced off a decorum myself. And I guess you know why. Yeah, it. I would not call it approachable. No, but I was. That's. It's wild because I'm looking up at my bookshelf right now, and I have all of East of West, which I love. I recently reread um, Manhattan Projects because of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And Manhattan Projects is just like so good. It's a shame it never finished. <laughs> yeah, that's that remains true. That remains true of so much of Hickman's uh, creator-owned work. Sadly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's so odd because now he's such a hotshot superstar. I can't, it would be unthinkable for someone to like cancel one of his books before it's finished. No, it always seems like it's him. It's like, oh yeah, the next issue is coming out in seven months and then he doesn't release it. Black Monday well, Murders, The Dying say, of the Dead. I read which, Black Monday Murders mm-hmm. after after a lot of it had come out already. Mm-hmm. And Black Monday Murders is really good. Yeah. And that's all of this is to say... Um, when Hickman went on his little uh, jaunt with other comics leaving Marvel, but after it was very shortly after he left X-Men that he made it clear he had more plans to do his thing to another part of Marvel. Yeah, and we still don't know why he left early from X-Men. The you know, There's all that speculation. He could have felt it was time. It could have been that, you know, he felt that other people could do whatever he wanted to do better, not better, but you know, differently, or it was the Substack 
grant that let him do three worlds three moons which has been kind of his baby since that's really been the big thing he's been doing since leaving the xbox and that i have not read have you read three worlds three moons i am a subscriber so i've got his i've got the print version of the source book which is really fun uh and yeah it's been this interesting experiment in literal world building or collaborative world building as people as different people came up with different aspects of this of this universe, you know, from the way the gravity works, from the way the politics on this one planet goes uh, and the different stories from different angles. He's got one that runs as a Sunday strip, you know, like a few panels. Yeah. Seven or eight comes out every week. We'll end up telling one story. It's like, like a classic serial. Another, you know, is a regular miniseries. Sometimes it's a one shot. Other times it's just here's an info dump. It's always like a process. It's I th- I find it fascinating, but it's also so much. Yeah, too much I to keep really. Track of. I guess I uh, hadn't thought too hard about all that, but that sounds really cool. I can't wait to read that. Yeah. So yeah, Hickman has been um, doing like really esoteric stuff. After leaving X-Men and the the new stuff that uh, he did for Marvel feels downright grounded after those books. God, in like this insane way, because this book is way more insane than like most Marvel series. But it's still like Hickman's most approachable thing in what feels like forever. Yeah, it's actually three years. Yeah, it's. I guess the the good part of corporate comics is that he has to be a little clearer like they're they're definitely mandating not mandating him but they're like almost certainly he knows the audience that he's he's playing to and he has to make stuff a lot more approachable than he he's, has he's working to. with a marvel and, editor yeah he's working with a marvel editor so they're like no you need this and he'll be like too bad or he'll take the the advice or yeah yeah because like you were saying decorum i could not see him doing something that esoteric but also i don't want that like i've read some of his early stuff too the nightly news pax americana and i own both those in hardcover <laughs> i do, like i struggled with those i struggled so much they're more interesting in uh like showing his style his developing style yeah exactly so I appreciate it being more approachable. I also think that it is important for there to be unapproachable art in existence. So I don't know where I don't know really where I sit on that, but I, I feel you. I feel you on the the not the simplicity of the Marvel stuff in comparison, but it feels like I, I can breathe a little bit to go. Oh, OK. I can understand at least a little bit. Yeah, I can at least literally comprehend what's happening. Yeah, I've got a foothold. And like sometimes I'd be reading East of West and I'm like, I feel unmoored. I don't know what's going on. And he'd bring it back to it eventually. But it was not something that worked in the singles. Yeah. And we're talking today about um, a mini series that uh, recently wrapped up called Ultimate Invasion, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as the first issue of is this supposed to be a miniseries as well? G-O-D-S? No, I think that one's supposed to be an ongoing. An ongoing. Okay. So very mysterious ongoing, which I have questions about. And then they also uh, were recording not too long after New York Comic Con. And at that around that event, Marvel announced 
a bunch of new books that Hickman, Hickman is going to be kind of overseeing, perhaps in a similar way to his ex-office. Mm-hmm. But I want to get ahead of us. So do you want to take a quick and early commercial break? And then we're going to really dig into Ultimate Invasion? Let's do it. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And welcome back. We're talking Hickman's Return to Marvel, and specifically Ultimate Invasion and G-O-D-S, Gods. I don't even read it as a word. It might not be a word. It might just be G-O-D-S. It could be. <laughs> have you tried G-O-D-S? Do you have G-O-D-S? Talk to your doctor about <laughs> G-O-D-S. Um, I don't, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> okay, so I guess the, the headline of all of this new Hickman stuff is Hickman is now the head of Ultimate. Yeah. Who would have thought the man who killed the Ultimate Universe bringing it back? Well, so you say the man who killed the Ultimate Universe, but I know you haven't. What do you know, at least by reputation, of Hickman's past work with the Ultimates? Oh, I meant literally. Oh, yeah, like, he did kill quite a few of them. And then yes. I guess he killed the entire universe. OK, yeah, he killed them. Yeah, he 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 orchestrated the demise of the 1616 universe. Was that their designation? 1610? 1610. 1610. But what I know from is that uh, Hickman wrote, I think it was Ultimate Thor. I don't know if he had taken over the title, if he had started on that. Uh, and then at one point took on the main book, the Avengers proxy, uh, the Ultimates. Uh, I don't know if it was directly after Mark Millar or if there were other writers in between. But Hickman essentially, I guess, oversaw... He wasn't really an architect at that point because this was all pre him taking over Avengers. But was it contemporary to him writing Fantastic Four? Yeah, there was definitely overlap. Yeah. The Hickman book had the really incredible, unfortunate title of Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates. Ugh. yeah. Bad. But has the uh, the benefit of being drawn by um, Isad Ribich. You know, that is a benefit. Yeah. Um, so I was reading those as they came out and worked at a comic shop when the when most of that was coming out. Mm hmm. And um, I guess. OK, so have you did you have you ever read much Ultimates at all? Any Ultimate series? Uh, we read Ultimatum and that was a mistake. <laughs> so, yeah. So Mark Millar is the uh, co-creator of the Ultimate Universe uh, for all the how, all the excitement that generated at the time and all the uh, side eyeing I give it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mark Millar was quickly replaced with Jeff Loeb, part of which we read for Ultimatum. Oh. Um, and Jeff Loeb, as you can see, his stuff was really dire, which means they brought Millar back. And Millar at that point was writing 
like uh, his version of the Ultimates. I, there was an arc where um, Ghost Rider is trying to assassinate the vice president and the Ultimates need to stop him. Why? Just like it was like real like 90s action movie stuff was the direction he took it in. OK, yeah, this the this A doesn't stand for France. Yeah, that was it. Well, his his initial stuff was more like a he was like, this is like a political thriller superhero story. And that ends up being somewhat true because that's where the ultimates become like uh, agents of the state. OK, in a way that the Avengers aren't right. And then the Avengers movies are really drawing from that aesthetic, which is why the Avengers seem so like government bureaucratic military business. And I'm sure some of like the real world politics of how the U.S. military finances stuff helps with that. Well, and like uh, Millar, while he was parodying Bush politics, I think uh, I, I think there's a bunch of Bush stuff that he probably agreed with, too, that makes its way into those books. But then also he's mm-hmm. so arch and sarcastic when in his writing that sometimes it's hard to tell what's supposed to be taken at face value and what's a joke. Mm hmm. Which, as we know, also is a cloak that certain types of people use to disguise uh, or dog whistle their ideas. Whatever. Whatever. But but Millar's return was like a lot less. It was just like stupid popcorn stuff. And it was fine. Some, it was better Millar comics than even the original Ultimates, I think. Huh. OK. But then Hickman takes it. And but then um, Bendis kills Ultimate Peter Parker. And there's a whole and debuts Miles Morales. And with Miles Morales, they completely refreshed the Ultimate Universe and Hickman got his hands on it. And Hickman was kind of like, I don't understand if you have this opportunity to, like, uh, do something crazy. Why are you just doing, like, Ghost Rider stuff that you could do a normal Ghost Rider? (laughs) Right. That could be a Ghost Rider story. That seems pretty normal. So Hickman's just like, I don't understand why you don't just, like, turn good guys evil and nuke Washington, D.C. So that's what he did. And whoa, right when he comes on, um, he uh, Mr. Fantastic, who had been kind of becoming more and more villainous throughout a bunch of other Ultimate series. Yeah, um, he has fully come back as the maker and he has he he does what is the ultimate version of Children of the Vault, like pretty explicitly. Okay, it involves a bunch of characters from that story. And then when he emerges from his his vault, which he calls the city, he he nukes Washington, D.C., and yes. the, the destruction of Washington, D.C. triggers ultimate civil war, which is an actual war between the U.S. states with superheroes on both sides. Dang. Right. And, and when I'm saying that, you're just like, holy shit, now that's an ultimate comic, right? Yeah, that's like that's a comic that feels like it's actually moving forward. You know, like yeah. the, where the the status quo is allowed to shift. No coming back from that. They uh, no. Captain America is elected the uh, president of the United States, which was interesting because that was the very conservative A stands for France, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets killed in the Civil War. He's like a casualty of it. I don't know if it's a great comic, but it's incredible. It's just like mm-hmm. so bold. And it's really delivering on that promise of like these political uh, sophisticated or, you know, it was still kind of popcorny, but. What Mark Millar was going for, his like uh, critique of politics through the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Hickman like really gets there in his ultimate issues. Yeah, he realizes the the idea. Yeah, and I think all of that is relevant background because his new thing is Hickman's new ultimates. So why don't you can you take us into ultimate invasion number one? Yeah, so ultimate invasion number one opens not exactly on, but 
with the maker in prison. He's been there since whenever he was captured last. He had been messing around with Venom. Well, and doing... hold up. Oh, well, who's the maker? Just uh, for people who are catching up. Oh, that's up. Evil Reed Richards. He's got a stupid little helmet and he's got a big head and thinks he's smarter than everyone because he kind of is uh, and wants to do a genocide because he thinks he can build a better world, but only him. And he and Miles Morales are two of a handful of characters that survived the uh, the last Ultimate Universe destruction to yeah. continue on in comics today. And he was one of the only people or characters to retain the Ultimate Universe font. Uh, he was the only one that still spoke in that, even when everyone else was speaking in regular Marvel 616, you know, standard comics font. He came in and he had the mixed case Ultimate Universe font. Which, to be clear, Elias hates more than anything that's ever been in a comic. Yes, I do. Uh, I think they finally made a good one somehow. I think it's just because they finally figured out how to do mixed case digital lettering well. So they, they, they've they sort of fixed it. Uh, it's still not ideal, but... I just I think it's a funny bit. I think that's the ultimate accent. <laughs> yeah, the, the ultimate universe font. Yeah, well, just like I imagine that they're talking in an ultimate universe accent and everyone can tell that he's not from around here. <laughs> That's yeah. always how I read it. I always thought that was, that was cute. But yeah, I know that drives you crazy and I notice it now and I think ah, this is going to drive Elias crazy. Yep, it does. It does a little bit. And they retain that in Ultimate New Vision where everyone on main universe is speaking in all caps. I think it's the mm-hmm. same font, though. Uh, and he t- speaks in a mixed mixed case. Yeah, and I guess the maker by Hickman is kind of like a like David Fincher seven villain, right? He's like this all powerful, all knowing serial killer who can manipulate nearly anyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's 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 a scary dude. Yeah, he's very scary. Uh, and Hickman sells that scary because the first issue of Ultimate Invasion is mostly a break in. You've got this paramilitary group. They break into what was it called the the shield, the vault, uh, the the Blackguard building, the Blackguard building. Yeah, it's like some, I yeah. guess, a front for wherever he's being held. Uh, they break in. They did you notice also some one of cool shit? One of the mm-hmm. guards has like a an out like a a, a bunch of connected dots that is the maker's suit. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. on their uniform. You can see right away. I just, this is a good comic. It is a good comic. And uh, you don't really know what's going on at first, so we kind of spoiled it. Whoops. Well, yeah, that we're going through these issues. Um, yeah. The art style on this, which is by Brian Hitch, looks a lot like that early 2000s, like super realistic, militarized art style. Yeah, it's Brian Hitch. Yeah. Who, who essentially cut his teeth on the authority. In early two yeah. thousands, which was the per so he was the perfect fit for this. Yeah, because like the font, it's very like ultimate accented, the the hyper realism and the almost no cartoony feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like what, 12, 13 pages of just action before we get even any meaningful dialogue? Like it's mostly not filler, but it's like a, a awesome cold open that's just like starting you on action. It's the the Brian Hitch's artwork is so good and it's propulsive, and then mm-hmm. and you you trust that it's gonna we're gonna get to 
how this all connects in and you're uh, the suspense is finding out the paramilitary guys get to a floor with this like black cube uh, mm-hmm, with the number the two cube. on it mm-hmm. and they all shuffle into the room and where they encounter a naked guy who turns around and says uh fantastic and he's you see his face he's got a scary eye scar it like like you say, it was like what a great hannibal lecter introduction yeah yeah and you start seeing like you you kind of feel like oh no what's going on this this isn't good but also how is this going to go wrong and you see it go wrong because the maker is you know the maker he gets all this stuff. He's kind of sort of monologuing above everyone's heads. And then he finds out that one of the guards is not the person he hired. It was someone else. And he's like, whatever, I'll make do. And he combines them all into a gross meat puppet version of himself. Yeah, disgusting uh, horror moment. But that's the maker. He's uh, he, he's he's all seeing practically. Yep. And and that that cold open is when we finally like that's when all the guys get meat puppeted. That's when we get the title drop. Yeah. Marvel Comics presents Ultimate Invasion, two page credits page, and we get a, a data page. My favorite. Yeah. OK, so this prison uh, is a damage control thing in the Blackguard building. Yes. Underneath Project Pegasus or Project Pegasus has a section of it. Yeah, we got Project Pegasus who um are like the Indiana Jones vault with all the artifacts. Mm-hmm. We got Blackguard who we think are like uh holding supervillains in secret. Fury Access definitely sounds like a Nick Fury thing. Mm-hmm. Prisoner Cell 1610 is mm-hmm. where the maker is being held and the negative zone. Oh yeah. That's what he's sitting in front of. There's a there was a screen behind him and you're like, what's that? Well, now now we know it's the negative zone, uh, which we're uh, good guy. Reed Richards, one of the evilest things he ever did. Ah, it's a it's a loaded statement was uh, build the negative zone prism in 616. Yep. We talked about that when we were talking about annihilation. Yeah, that's my favorite story with that with the negative zone prison. Yeah. And the rest of the issue is, I guess, the other end of a murder mystery. Like that's kind yeah, of how it feels. Well, because when we uh, when we pick up the Blackguard building is totally in rubble and a bunch of superheroes are surveying the scene. There's also what do you call those uh, Wakandan war dogs? What's their proper name? Uh, I think it's the Hatutsuraze. I think yeah, that's the who Hatuts- the, I think it's who it, that is. Yeah, it's just cool to see the Hatutsuraze guys uh, kind of guarding the scene so the the Avengers guys can investigate. But it's not really the Avengers because everyone who shows up ends up being members of uh, Marvel's Illuminati. Yep, including Black Panther in a very cat-like version of the suit with the mask. Yeah, and I love Hickman's Black Panther. I think that the character actually really suffered from those excellent movies. Mm-hmm. Where he, I always feel like he lost his edge. He used to be... Um, he did. He used to be kind of, you know, like a one step ahead master planner. And then he became like a very stoic uh, guy with a heart of gold. But Hickman knows the Black Panther has got kind of a, a sharp side. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're trying to piece together. What is the maker doing now that he's free? He's stealing stuff. The Illuminati's together. Uh, he's like, what is this guy doing? Nothing good, obviously. He heads into the Baxter building as the uh, Illuminati's figuring out his plan. Uh, I love there's a moment when Franklin wakes up and thinks that he's his dad. Oh, yeah. 
which is so which is creepy in like a horror movie way but also like uh they're so different from each other but i guess in the dark you can mistake them in the dark when you're tired and you know if you don't say anything and the maker comes to this is the bridge right yeah he steals the bridge he steals uh some terrigen does he call it by name yeah oh well he he doesn't call it by name, but um, Reed Richards calls what he stole from him uh, a bridge of mine that was not supposed to be in storage at a secret Stark warehouse in Long Island, which yeah, okay, is either he, the bridge that he made or the Dan Slot Infinity Gate. Yeah, but either way, uh, the bridge is uh, an invention of Reed Richards that lets you uh, look at and travel to alternate realities. Mm hmm. And thus is the only thing that would be capable of um, bringing the maker back to the 1610 universe. Which doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. Which doesn't exist anymore. And that's well, that's kind of way. So what happens with that? What do you mean? So let, let's uh, just go through it. So uh, where does he go? What What's the universe that he's going to? Oh, no. First, he visits Miles. Yep. Which is it, that's just such an interesting moment of not camaraderie, but. I find it strange that the maker would go to visit Miles, but not in like a bad writing kind of way, but in a why is this character doing that kind of way? Yeah, it feels I mean, almost um, warm. It's almost a warm scene. He calls Miles his brother. Yeah. And it's really interesting because Miles is such like a warm hearted, relatable, lives down the street kind of character. And the mm -hmm. maker could not be farther from that. He's like a horrifying monster from beyond the cosmos of our understanding. They just like don't operate in the same neighborhood. The Miles isn't the guy who's going to be investigating the maker. That's the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. So like sticking them together like this and having them this camaraderie is really cool because otherwise now they have like there's a lot of. Uh, tension they can bounce off each other because they do have this connection and it will I'd like if it's forever these two characters are forever associated by mind yeah Ooh. but he offers miles he says i'm going home would you like to come with me and like elias you just said uh there isn't any 16 1610 and i guess that dynamic is always confusing like because they just kind of want to have miles in the 616 now and not worry so much about the alternate universe part of it Mm -hmm. But it, but it always comes creeping back because that's so interesting. Yeah. And obviously, Miles has like a good reason to want to stay in this universe. Yeah, he's been building a life in the last uh, five years of comics or whatever. Yeah, and he's got his parents back. Yeah, <laughs> they're not dead. Oh, yeah. Stuff did not go good for him in the Ultimate Universe. No, no. He he's probably ultimate... like, I have no fond memories of that. There was an issue where Miles gets like child soldier enlisted into the uh, ultimate civil war and battles uh, Cassie Lang, who's on the opposite side. Yeesh. Now, that's kind of a crazy issue. Yeah, I guess it's not good, but I, I, that stuck with me. That was pretty haunting. Well, yeah. So after that, we get our, our big confrontation between the heroes and the maker with his dimensional contraption. Uh, and he, he says that he would, uh, he left a, a trail so that people would find him because he has to pretend or prove that he's smarter than everyone at every step anyway. Yeah. Uh, and um, he asks Reed a very telling question, which is that if you could change, if you could, if you could do it all again, if you could truly change things, if you had the chance, would you erase me from existence? 
And Reed replies, after some hesitation, yes. Oh, such and, a strong writing move. Yeah, and then the maker looks, I don't know if it's disappointed or just he grumpy. T- taking into consideration. He's like, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, and like, so it's very telling of his plans, but what a cool moment of um, taking the heroic version of this character and him knowing the exact thing to make him have to be honest and admit that he would do this evil thing, because of course he would. Yeah, yeah, he would. And it's, uh, I, that was the moment that through all the issues and through everything, that stuck with me. I couldn't stop thinking about that one scene. Yeah, well, it's just I, I don't know what it could mean. And I wonder what it just makes me wonder if the maker would have done anything even slightly differently if Reed had said no. No, well, he, he but he's the maker. He knows what everyone's going to say before they say it. He knows what Reed's answer is. I guess the surprising part is that Reed the part that's the most surprising is that Reed feels compelled to be honest in front of all these guys who might judge him for that. I guess. I, and it's I, he I also, just have this sneaking suspicion that just at least from the way Hitch, Hitch and Curie, the, the inker, draw that one panel, it, it, it almost feels like the maker's a little disappointed in Reed. Well, maybe that he's, a, he's not the complete opposite. He's like, that's something I would do. I'm disappointed that you feel that you've reached that point. I feel like he's like a teenager acting out. He's just mm. like he like wants to feel safe and he wants somebody to tell him that's not appropriate behavior. And then the guy who's supposed to do that was just like, oh, no, you should you should fucking kill me. And he's just like, oh, bummer. Yeah, I I thought that uh, I thought that you wanted to be better than this. Yeah. Great moment. And there's a great shot, just a great hero shot that hits nails of all the Illuminati in their like most classic costumes doing like a real dynamic hero pose after they've lost the battle. Mm-hmm. Big white page of like insane explosion. And then it says 6160, which is not the same as uh, 1610. No, no, it is not. Damn. Because it's 616 just ultimatized by giving it, multiplying it by 10. Yeah. And we, we come to a familiar scene, which is uh, Peter Parker about to get bit by the radioactive spider. And then it's interrupted. Yeah, it's interrupted by uh, like a, an unseen figure, but we kind of suspect who it is. And then when the camera whips around and we see his scarred face, we know that the maker just uh, stole Spider-Man's spider, which in the very least means that Peter Parker will never be Spider-Man now. Uh, but also that he could probably give himself the Spider-Man powers. Or anyone else. Yeah, or anyone he, uh, that he chooses. He's got also such a big head in that scene. <laughs> and not like the usual stuff. He's just got such a large forehead. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that uh, Peter and that's Gwen, right? That Peter and Gwen uh, are just like, oh, hey, mister. And they're not kind of recoiling of this uh, monstrous looking man. I mean, they're at a they're at a science convention. It's to be expected. But OK, but like. Coming out of this issue, what is the mission statement? Like, uh, we don't know yet. What did you think? Th- th- where did you think this was going? Because we didn't know that they were bringing back Ultimate Comics. I, I had no idea. I thought we were just going to get, you know, we were going to get a miniseries and we were going to get, you know, a resolution to, you know, he creates his own universe and, you know, maybe it collapses out from under him or I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect, honestly. 
Right. Thematically, it seems like we're about to see what uh, the Marvel story would be like if evil Reed Richards was trying to steer it behind the scenes. Yeah. And and how does he want it to be? But then picking up in the next issue, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, it's how many years later? How much do, do, do we jump? That's a good question. I am. Yeah, but we um, we pick up with a familiar iron fest. the issues. We pick up with a familiar uh, mask. Um, oh, I'm yes. looking at the wrong. I'm looking at issue four. No, you, yeah, you're looking at the wrong issue. Issue two is um, him so kind of basically not monologuing, but sh- recapping the important stuff from the last issue and then showing how he completely changed the course of this universe. I think what he did was he created and and used 616 as the base copy and then nudged events, changed events from the 616 version to make his new Ultimates universe. Yeah, that's my read and, on it. Right. So I just like uh, going through. We see he puts Loki on the throne of Asgard. Yep. And he shatters the the he shatters Bifrost. He makes sure the Fantastic Four never get powers. Howard Stark and Obadiah Stane co-create their company and rule it. I think Bruce Banner still becomes the Hulk. But which kind of makes sense because in an evil universe, yeah, you would stop it and take away all the Hulk superpowered friends and just make him alone and isolated and destructive. Yeah, but he couldn't find Captain America frozen in ice, which is, which is uh, fascinating. Yeah, which is very enticing. Yeah, it's like, whoa, well, why wasn't he there? Because he wasn't messing around in the in a in that far back. Yeah, and we get we get a um, uh, data page uh, tracking all of. Uh, the maker's conquests, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. He killed off all of the most of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, he so uh, he steals the original Human Torch robot's brain. Uh, couldn't find Captain America. Uh, takes Bucky's blood, and Bucky is still dead. He gets uh, the quantum bands before uh, anyone else can. He gets the blood of Jack Monroe, the fifties um, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the destroyer seed? I feel like I remember that. I have no idea. That's what he takes from Thor, and Thor is in uh, is under Loki's control. Reed Richards is um, is controlled. not dead, right? He's controlled. Yeah, he's controlled in, in nodes thirteen through eighteen, or whatever that means. Uh, um, like Howard Stark, he's like an industrialist that a maker is allowing to to invent. Yeah, and this is page one of four hundred and thirty-seven. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, Fantastic Four are dead. Uh, Hank Pym never got his powers and he stole the Pym particles. Um, The Hulk is controlled, according to him. Peter Parker never got the spider powers. Uh, Janet Van Den never got the Pym generator. And Stephen Strange is uh, held captive and um, Maker has the Eye of Agamotto. So, yeah, he's collecting all the superpowers. Pretty much, yeah. Keeping them controlled, using them, doing whatever it is he does with them in the city. Iron Man uh, still happens, and this Iron Man very conspicuously looks very similar to the Ultimate design. Yeah, I mean, he's Howard Stark instead of uh, Tony. Right. and uh, Well, to- Ultimate Tony is a whole crazy story. Oh, I We don't have time for that. <laughs> 
His entire body is a brain. Oh God. Yeah, we don't oh, have to talk God. about that now. Yeah. I don't I think we're barely gonna have time for, for this mini series. Yeah. Each so, issue's uh, like forty pages long. Yeah, but uh, the next interesting thing to pick up is the uh, Latveria Summit that uh, Iron Man, so Stan and Stark, are in attendance of. Mm-hmm. We get the the Hulk, and basically what this scene I, I, I we have to talk about because I feel like this is actually what the series is going to end up being about. Yeah, so we have a bunch of different factions showing up at the yeah, city. I'm sorry, I went too fast. Let's uh, let's slow down. So what, like we have, we have the Stark guys, but what's the deal with Hulk? Hulk is called the Immortal Hulk. Yes, and he had what is it? Um it said that the enlightened children of eternal light shine as brightly as they do because they rest in the shadow of the protective hand of their highest holy man, the legendary and immortal Hulk. And he's got like a little dot on his forehead. He's dressed in monk's robes, but they're open because you have to show off your chest. Yeah, he's the, he's the Hulk. He's got he's strongest there is. Yeah, and it seems very in control. Yeah, yeah, he's very very calm. Then we get the um, the Japanese delegation, which is also really interesting. We get Sunfire showing up uh, wearing his mask and like a suit, mm-hmm. Viper and a Silver Samurai all show up, and there's so there's like a strong Japanese contingent. And then we get the Russian contingent, and you better believe this is the most exciting for me, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, that include. Yeah, go ahead. So it's they're they're the Rasputin family. So Ilyana and Colossus, because I always forget what his actual first name is, and then Omega Red, who I don't actually know what his non uh, X Men code name is. Alexi. Uh... Probably Rasputin. No, he's not a Rasputin. Well, he is now. He's hanging out with them. Um, uh, Arkady Grigorovich Rosovich. Ah, there we go. Is Colossus Mikhail? No, Mikhail is the brother. Colossus is uh, Piotr. Oh, okay. Right, because he's um, identified with the idiot in in Immortal X-Men. And his buddies are always calling him Pete. Yep. Yeah, but so it seems here like there's a the Hulk is like the vaguely uh, South Asian mm-hmm. themed. I don't know what country that is supposed to be specifically, but we solidly have Russia and Japan here at this like international summit that the maker is hosting. Mm-hmm. When he gets jumped by, how would you describe this uh, army? I would describe it as like OG Avengers put into a copier and then like slightly photocopied. So each version is a little different than the last, but they're all identifiably the same person. So you got Thor, you got like a million Thors, a million visions, Captain America. That's where he's been giant man, wasp. And I think that's everyone in these big splash pages. Yeah. Just this like huge army of Avengers clones uh, coming down on uh on this gathering Mm -hmm. and we get and this is like our big superhero dust up where all these alternates are fighting all those characters we just met but it's interesting because the guys who are clearly being told we're told are the main characters like sunfire and omega red are not the main characters in any marvel universe i've ever read no they are not 
it would have been a bold swing to make them the main characters here. I, well, stay tuned um, because so there's a big battle um, and there are like casualties and we get to see all the uh, these superheroes rock out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, Obadiah Stane is killed and I think Howard Stark is paralyzed. Yeah, no, he's captured or well, he he's knocked out and then he's brought into the maker's uh, space because he's able to, to he gets up. He's mostly dazed and then he sees that uh the maker has locked up all of these clones behind a, a big wall or variants, whatever they are. And then the maker shows his uh, tyrannical bona fides by gathering up all of their genetic ancestors and killing them on the spot. Yeah. And we get to, yeah, which is just like a freaky time travel thing. And it's like a real like fucked up murder, but cosmic goddamn. Yeah, it's. And then Howard admonishes him, but also knows that. You know, he can't push too much. Otherwise, he'll end like the goop patrol. Right. Uh, he like uh, it's clear that um, the maker is on a power level that no one we've encountered in this universe yet can even approach. Yeah. And he takes Howard in the back and he shows him his Immortus engine, which is, you know, it it's something. I don't know what that means. It's time travel stuff. They, yeah, they call it a time machine. Immortus is obviously an alias of King the Conqueror, famous time traveler. Mm hmm. And I, I think thematically what's interesting here is in the Marvel 616, uh, Time Machine was one of the few inventions Reed Richards could never quite master, and Doctor Doom was the one who invented it. Hmm. Yes. So here he is inventing uh, his own Time Machine before this universe's Doom can. Which I'm sure makes him feel very smart. Do you want to talk about the, the, the hat pull? Because that was a freaky moment that I don't quite understand. The, the literal hat pull? Yeah, when he pulls off his helmet. Yeah, he pulls his helmet off and he's missing half his uh, head, like uh, which includes his, his, his messed up eye. Yeah. And you can like see his insides and he's like all consistently like one texture, like a mushroom. Yeah. It's freaky. I don't like it. I mean, yeah, I make her not nice and I don't want to be his friend. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to reread the scene to to figure it out, like what he did, because the the Immortus engine is now damaged, which is why he hasn't done any more changes. And paradoxically, I I got the impression that he was pulling the ideas of the Immortus engine from the future. Yes, but from who and what? I don't know. Well, he had access to the bridge, so he could have looked at other realities. That's true. That's true. But so he's kind of like bringing Howard in now to the his grander plans, the 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 next wheel out. If you're looking at the wheels within wheels mm-hmm. and he's like, Howard, uh, you're going to have to help me repair the time machine because I'm pretty sure you're the one who invents it. Yeah. And I don't remember how to do it because of this giant hole in my head. Yeah. Which which is great. Which rules? Yeah. It also provides a nice limitation on like, well, why hasn't he done X, Y, Z? It's like, well, the machine's damaged. He doesn't know how to fix it because he's missing that part of his brain. Yeah. Although, yeah, his brain is not where it might not be where we think it is. He's a shapeshifter. Yeah, that's it's just so deeply unsettling. Well, it was always there. It's it's just like uh, if you shift uh, the character a little bit, now suddenly his power gets interesting in a whole new way. I guess I I do not like it. No, I'm it's not. Cool. Again, it's fun, but I do not like it. Don't want to be his friend. I think the maker is a no. bad dude. No, the maker is a very bad dude. The so issue three opens up on 
the funeral of Obadiah Stane. And we get a nice bonding moment between Howard and Tony, uh, who is very much a kid now. He's like a teen, like an older teen. Yeah, an older teen. Uh, and we find out, quote unquote, what happened in Latveria, which is a meeting of all of the delegations inside of, I guess it's Doomstadt, but uh, whatever the maker, the maker's castle next to the city at this point. And uh, we mentioned a bunch of the characters a moment ago, but we here mm-hmm. we meet Emmanuel da Costa, uh, father of Roberto da Costa, and one of the richest men in Brazil. Yep. So there's a Brazilian delegation as well. There's also uh, Ra and Con, yeah, Ra and Conchu, delegates of the Upper and Lower Kingdoms, which is an interesting way of describing that area. True, true, true. That's the uh, ancient name for uh, how they referred to Egypt. Yeah, but because it also included, I think, um, parts of Sudan and Libya. Like, it's not just what's currently politically Egypt. Yeah, totally. So I really, I'm really curious if that means that the history is slightly different or if they're just referring to it in that way because they're like, you know, shadow rulers in the way that, you know, Avalon is. They give you the impression that um, – it's kind of like a, a Broxton, Oklahoma situation where like the gods were walking among them a little bit more. And so like the the myth informed the contemporary politics and culture. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. If that was just my read on it. You know, it's Hickman. It's, I'm reading between the lines like any any uh, crazy Hickman reader. Next, we meet some uh, interesting characters who are um, Captain EU, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right? I, guess, um, I guess that's who that is. It's it's Captain Britain and who has all the powers of Captain Britain, but he seems to be French and it he seems represents like represents the EU. Yeah, so that's another faction here. And and is that the the last one? Uh, did we did we uh, mentioned the rest I from last issue? Yeah, I think that's the so. But yeah, so we have factions from uh Japan, broadly speaking, Egypt, vaguely speaking, South Asia, Europe, and Russia. And I guess um Howard is there from America. Yeah. And the Dacostas are there for South America. But it's so now we have this like interesting political meeting between all of these like crazy looking superhero characters. But it's like a very different context, right? Like Captain mm-hmm. EU, Hulk and Colossus are like in this grand room debating the future of politics and intelligence. Yeah. And Howard's kind of the odd man out going like, well, don't you all hate each other? And they're like, no, that's a useful fiction. And it's. Very much a Oceania has always been our enemy style. I, I think that he even references that in the in one of these speeches here. How basically the maker, this is their world's Illuminati, only it's more competent and more internationally representative rather than just like superhero representative and quite literally controls a lot of, you know, what the world does and how it is seen. And and like um, Emmanuel da Costa isn't a superhero at all. He's like a member of the Hellfire Club, rich mm-hmm. industrialist guy who owns all these companies. He's he's there because he has power, but it's not superpower. Yeah. Yeah. As as the Hulk says, uh, then it uh, just there's so many good lines in this. I'm I'm going to read this for like a fourth time after we stop this. God, yeah, just the the Hulk's talking about the, you know, why who is becoming what, 
you know, who is the enemy? And it's like, well, everyone kind of takes turns at that. And here's the cycle. Here's how it goes. That way, everyone's kind of going. And he's like, don't you see? Like, like you're, not, you're seeing it now. It's like, if you don't know who it is, it's probably you coming next. And kind of jabbing at the way the U.S. handles its current politics. Or, yeah. Or, well, politics, but also like world, its approach to world diplomacy. Yeah. And I really like... Um... There's this line, uh, the maker comes in and they all turn to see him and he has a crazy long speech, but he has this line, the little people hate us, we giants who rule the land. And that's it, right? That's the theme. It's about um, the uh, these people who think that they're better than everybody and try mm-hmm. to make decisions on their behalf and uh, the resentments that that creates. Yeah. And we saw it from people who are ostensibly trying to do it for good. And now we're seeing it for people who are not necessarily ostensibly trying to do it for bad, but do it for very selfish reasons. Yeah. Or, you know, they, they want to control. Uh, they, they just want they want control. That was the other, that's the end of my mm-hmm. sentence. Yeah. Yeah. They just want control. We get that really interesting map that uh, we were just kind of talking about. I don't know if this uh, if, if this adds anything to that discussion. Not really, but it does it does give an idea of like, OK, so here is what how the world is organized currently. And like specifically uh, how their um, how their conspiracy is organized. Yes, yes, and we can see so the the upper and lower kingdoms are more expansive than just what pol- currently political Egypt is. Uh, you can see that Wakanda is still isolated from everyone else, nice and hidden. Uh, which rules? That's exciting to have out there, and will be relevant in a moment. Oh yes. Uh, and Howard is is not happy about what he has learned. Also interesting that um, Japan is called the Hinokuni. Yeah, the land of fire. Yeah, because um, Sunfire is obviously in charge of stuff. Mm-hmm. You got the Society of South America. Yeah. And I, it's all, it feels not alien, but it's a nice reminder that even though there's enough stuff that looks familiar... This world that we've now entered is very different. Yeah. And all of the, the old assumptions have to be tossed out. Yeah. And then we, um, uh, Howard finally accepts that he's going to come in on this conspiracy. He uh, goes, you know, the maker calls him in and the maker introduces him to a man named Reed Richards. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, before that, he has a talk with his son. Tony yeah. and Tony's like he's like I don't know if you know Howard's not sure if he's doing the right thing Tony looks at him and he's like well you know what you have to do you have to fight them and win which is such and a Tony thing to say it is it is and Howard's like Tony you do not understand clearly but also he takes it to heart he's like it it worms his way in and he's he's thinking about it like you can see it in the art and the dialogue throughout the rest of the the issue yeah 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 sorry this issue is so good uh it's so good at at there uh we meet so uh maker introduces this version of howard to to the what universe what's the number that we the 6160 version of reed richards who's Mm -hmm. got the familiar dr doom mask on but otherwise is wearing the blue and black fantastic four costume yes which i guess is a, a is a reminder of uh just how What's the word for it? Just how petty he is. And this is like a visual signifier that this guy is not Victor Von Doom, although he's 
you know, in the trap that Victor Von Doom was trapped in. Yes. Um, yes. And then we get a tantalizing, insane epilogue of this issue where we see this like infinite uh, MC Escher structure in the far future, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's filled with those Avengers uh, copies that attacked the whatchamacallit, the, the summit. And uh, they're talking to their master who's talking in a purple and green font, which is pretty cool. And oh, yeah. we, we pull out and we see that all of these guys are working for a version of Kang the Conqueror. Only Kang the Conqueror looks crazy. He's like part Kang, part Iron Man, part Doom. Yeah, I see more Iron Man than Doom in it, but I, I see what you mean. That logo on the chest gives me yes. feelings. I was wondering, I was like, that logo looks looks different than anything else I've seen. That's on the Lavarian flag. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, and Kang is supposed to be a descendant of all these people anyway. Uh, but God, he is the one. I don't even want to get into Kang. I don't understand him. Well, so but, uh, Kang is waging war against the Maker, and the reason he can, um, he's uh, the closest thing approaching the Maker on power level is because of his mastery of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we're t- treated to that, and then we get our final issue, which is another 56-pager. God. Uh, and we open with, um, I almost called him Doom, but the familiar mask of Doom, this version of Reed Richards and this version of Howard Stark, bonding, becoming friends. I guess. Building an Immortus engine. Yeah. And where does this all end up? I just, like, I feel like I'm missing something in the middle, because I totally remember how it ends. Very cool when we see the uh, fully armored uh, Doom in the in the Fantastic Four blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the middle, we have that we have a whole conversation about time. Like, what is time in this place? It's like, how long have we been here and all of that? And read read Doom is like, you see, I tried to track what the time was and I thought I finally figured it out. And then the maker walked in. And started messing with it, and I realized he was controlling everything about this room and this space, so I could not actually measure time. It was all fake. Uh, Which is very cool. That's like some Batman shit. Yeah, but also he's like, this is what this universe is. The sun rises and sets because the maker said it so, essentially. Yeah. He's not actually doing that, but like that is the... Their destiny has been hijacked. Not even time itself is is safe. Right. Because of his uh, all powerfulness. <laughs> mm hmm. But this is where we get a big, awesome superhero dust up. It's the armies of Kang, which are all familiar Avengers fighting um, all the armies of the Maker, which includes uh, superheroes and also just like robots, mm-hmm. monsters, whatever he felt like building. And it comes down to be one on one between this version of Kang and um, and the maker. And we see how they first came to conflict. Yeah. Which is maybe you can explain that a little better than I can. I'm not sure that I can. (laughs) But uh, so this version of Kang thinks that he knows that he owes time travel to the maker. Mm -hmm. And so he can't. he can't like go back and kill the maker or erase him because then Kang will never have gotten the power his powers because time travel will not have been invented here. Yeah, hate that stuff. I hate time yeah. travel nonsense. Yeah, and how does yeah? Just is there anything I'm missing before the big finale? 
I don't know. He went into the, yeah, when he went to the future, clearly Kang knew that he was coming. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just a whole, it's it's all a bunch of, like, fairly confusing dust-ups. The two important things to take away from the story. One, that uh, the this story going forward is going to be an international political intrigue. Again, back kind of in line with the original Ultimates comics, which I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. It's like this focus is on international power and on um, control. It's like all these great Hickman themes, and he's building this universe from the ground up. But instead of all of my pitches before he announced this, um, it's not this like grandiose cosmic bullshit. It's this very uh, like it's concerned with like real people and po- real politic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he ends us on a, co- a couple of cliffhangers. So the maker is still at large for the most part. And the uh, Illuminati he put together are still like united and we're going to be following them. And we'll get to that in a moment. Tony Stark completes his iron armor and he becomes Iron Lad, which is so freaking interesting because Iron Lad is, of course, the young version of Kang in the 616. Yeah, my guess and my assumption when I first read through this, I was like, I think he's in. Originally, he was, I think, leading everyone to believe that Howard becomes Kang. That's why the Iron Man armor and on all of that and like all yeah. the description of, you know, it's like looking in a mirror and hating what you see. But then when he picks up the mask in after the explosion inside the city and he looks and he's crying, I think yeah. it's because he sees Tony. I think you're right. Which freaking rules. Having Tony Stark be the big villain to the even bigger villain, Reed Richards, and he's teaming up with a heroic Reed Richards, who's Dr. Doom. This is great. (laughs) Yeah, it's great stuff. And I guess where we're left off is that. There's one last cliffhanger. Yeah. It's Kang or no, it's Iron Lad and uh, Reed Richards Doom. Dr. Fantastic, Mr. Doom. Let's call him Mr. Doom. Mr. Doom finding uh, Captain America in the ice. Yeah, uh, and and that's so fucking great because Cap is now here as like uh, this X-Factor variable that nobody accounted for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that's just where I like That's so Metal Gear Solid. I love that. <laughs> it is great. So this is a phenomenal wrap up to a series, and I I feel like I have a pretty uh, firm grasp on it. And we're going to come back to talk about this when we talk about the future. But Elias, will you, however, like this issue is dauntingly long, but will you take us through G.O.D.S.? Because I don't know what happened in G.O.D.S. and I read it more than once. Wait, really? Yeah, G.O.D.S. I feel like I had a pretty good um, grasp on it. Take me through it. Let me open it up so I can get the, oh, the sorry, proper, sorry. Yeah. proper order. But we're introduced to our cover character. These, this long teased, strangely beautiful man uh, with the scar. Love scars. They're very comic uh, named, named Win. Seems to be short for something. It seems to be short for something. We don't know what it is. He's got a nice long title. We open up with you know him and Doctor Strange talking cryptically. Uh, he's talking to him as if uh, Doctor Strange is, is you know, a kid that doesn't not that he doesn't know better, but that Win is very old. And this comic is beautifully drawn by Valeria Shidi. It's got that sleek look that we've come to expect 
for yeah, modern... shiny surfaces, saturated yeah. lighting. But it perfectly fits this like kind of otherworldly nature of everything that's going on. But with like a little bit of like 60s funky psychedelic. Yeah, which is what you want from something that co-stars Dr. Stephen Strange. Absolutely. Uh, and the general gist of the issue is Wynn is a representative of the powers that be who have always been and are fighting against um, the natural order of things. And both of these are hyphenated. There's like proper noun titles. Uh, yeah, these are the and, factions in the story. Yeah. And this is, we don't really know that much more about them, but he used to date one of the, or was dating, fell in love with one of these um, representatives of the natural order of things. And why the two are fighting, we don't know yet. Uh, but we find out that in order for her to like actually take up the job, she has to break up with him and he doesn't want to. And that, I think, is kind of making the core of the issue. All the other stuff is there. But that's yeah, the and- core conflict. And well, and that relationship between these like friends to lovers, lovers to adversaries, etc., going through this immortal cycle, mm-hmm. that's the like the human hook of uh, what's going through this story. But I guess what's so um, mysterious is like how many times can you be like, here's very significant figures to the Marvel universe, but you never heard of them until now. But these guys feel so weird because they feel so normal, even though it's implied that they're the farthest from normal you can be. Yeah. Yeah, they just feel like S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, but instead of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents for S.H.I.E.L.D., they're S.H.I.E.L.D. agents for, you know, God. Yeah, for the G.O.D.S., I guess. Yeah, or G.O.D.S. They are, yeah, they're kind of, not the cleanup crew, but they're running around and they're making sure that, you know, everything's running smoothly. That, you know, if something goes wrong, they're there to help clean up the mess. Um, and that's what we're doing the, at the beginning. He gets when gets called. Mm-hmm. I just noticed something that made this all click for me suddenly. OK, when um, and what's the, the little blonde twink boy's name? Uh, I don't know if he's given a name. All right. Well, when is walking with uh, his other um, counterpart and um, they pull out this like weird device. It's like a unfolding card and it's covered with runes and it always goes zoom with an H. <laughs> and yep. I realized this is a mother box. He's doing Marvel's yes. uh, fourth world. Yeah, pretty much. The zoom, the zoom is the boom tube. <laughs> but this thing isn't calling open giant portals to other planets and at least not yet, but it is giving all of those inform all of that information. It's a little bit like a tricorder or a, yeah. a screwdriver or whatever. Well, the mother box did too. Yeah. You'd ask it a question and it's just kind of, Maybe goofy is the wrong word. Or no, it is. I love I love the goofiness of it. It's a little pulpy. Yeah, of Wynn's first mission, he's like, there's a black magic ritual that went wrong with this wolf-headed guy and the fish lady. And they're like, they're both very reconciliatory. They're like, oh, man, we didn't mean for it to go this badly. But, you know, we just, we just need a little nibble. We just ate a hand. Yeah, I, I guess that. that- it's super fun. Uh, this whole issue is fun. Uh, mm-hmm. The superhero stuff is fun. And then we kind of move into this big conversation between Wynn and Aiko. Is that her name? Yeah. Yep. Talking at the bar. But uh, we don't get a lot of. Um, Entirely in nine panel grids. 
You know I love me a good nine-panel grid, and this is a good that one. That whole conversation at the bar is in nine-panel grids until the action takes over, which I think, great touch. Yeah. Oh, and, and then she shoots him dead. Yeah, okay. I, I was just trying to parse this. It's so... Uh, there's definitely a lot of information in here. This is just mm-hmm. what I'm failing to grasp is... It's so it seems parallel to the uh, Marvel universe. And, you know, Doctor Strange showed up just to remind us, yes, we are in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Besides that, you'd almost never know it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the point. And that's where where Hickman likes to operate, like S.H.I.E.L.D., Secret Warriors. All this stuff was like very tangential to the main plot, essentially, to the main stories. And this is very much build and and set up as happening in parallel to everything else it's happening behind doors that are hidden from the you know the real world they have a key that opens up to the library of worlds and everyone's just walking by and not noticing like it's the world unseen right which is very dr strangey oh yeah yeah and all of that stuff before was 10 years prior to the current events with dr strange that was all the the like backstory essentially yeah, when getting shot. When getting shot. Now he's back. He's fine. Uh, and they're talking about a, was it not a Babylon event? Yeah, that's what they call them. Oh, it is a Babylon event. Okay. Where, you know, everything is going wrong. The entirety of existence is threatened. You know, Tower of Babel, Wrath of a God kind of thing. And I don't know. The rest is mostly just exposition about this one specific rewriting of history and a lot of twisty hickmanisms yeah i'm, I'm see I'm, I'm just going through this i'm trying to like parse what i describe in the stories they um yeah it i mean there's a big fetch quest in the middle and it's just it's propulsive and it's interesting and it's engaging but it's just hard to summarize because ultimately the specifics of it don't matter other than They're stopping like these huge universe shattering events basically on the regular. They're treating it like they're like this is just part of their day job. It's just big. So you got to really keep it. You know, you got you got to step up. But yeah. Yeah. And this is we've only read the first issue. There's a love story. There's some interesting characters. Uh, I want to know how this whole organization functions. But yeah, we, we don't know what's coming next. Yeah. Who was what was the Eldrak? The uh, that's an Inhumans pull. We get the door of Eldrac. I love Eldrac the door. Eldrac is my bud. It's great. Uh, they they save the universe as normal uh, with a nice faint with a, a spooky book that is like, no, don't open it. We'll lose if you open it. But really, they win if he opens it. My question, and I guess the thing I was looking for is. Um, this doesn't really tie that into, um, Ultimate Invasion, right? They're not really connected. No, they're not. They're completely separate. I wonder if that will remain the case. I think it will. I think this was the big project he was working on. Yeah. And then, or actually, I wonder if, uh, Ultimate Invasion was the big project he was working on and then he pitched Gods and they were like, yes. Yeah, I don't know, but... If we look towards the future, I think we can get a hint. And I got some theories. Okay. I kind of hope that GODS continues to work like it did here, where it's like an episodic 40-minute TV show again, like he did with X-Men. Because there are no cliffhangers. That's true. At the end of this. It was one complete adventure 
Uh, so the next one might see Wynn going to some desert island to solve the, you know, murder of the Duchess and the Hulk shows up. Yeah. We don't know. The mystery is killing me, the suspense. But yeah, it's good. It's good. And then recently, Marvel announced um, there is going to be a new line of Ultimate books. This is the Ultimate Universe, the 6160, I guess, this new Ultimate Universe. Mm hmm. And the first title they announced was Ultimate Spider-Man by Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto, which sounds great. It sounds so good. Um, And it was announced that this is not this is not a version of Spider. This is a brand new version of Spider-Man. So we are in the end kind of getting Hickman's Spider-Man. Which who would have guessed? Yeah. And it's very interesting because of how Ultimate Spider-Man was the center of the previously existing Ultimate Universe. And hold up, I have my unifying take in just a moment, because then they announced Ultimate Black Panther by Brian Edward Hill and Stefano Caselli. Again, a creative team that I'm really interested in. Mm, I'm less interested in it. I've enjoyed some Brian Edward Hill comics. I know more than you have. Yeah. But I I've talked to the man. I am just certain he's got a really like deeply passionately held take on Black Panther that he's getting to do without any uh, regard to like prior continuity. Going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully it's a better book than Fallen Angels. Yeah. Uh, judging the guy's whole career by Fallen Angels would be pretty rough. Mm. And then the third book that they announced was Ultimate X-Men, written and drawn by P- the Peach Momoko, who's like blowing up. Yeah, that's wild. wild I really pull. hope she can keep up the pace of a monthly book. Me too, but it looks like she is going to take the Hickman um, self-contained approach because the first issue is going to be the origin story of um, Hisako Ichiki armor, and she's going to discover she's a mutant. And that, to me, is so fucking exciting because, like, what uh, if you're starting the X-Men again and you want to really start with, like, a cool character who's had a lot of potential but isn't really able to shine next to Cyclops and Kitty Pride and Psylocke and Captain Britain and Gambit and everyone? Mm-hmm. And I got a feeling um, Peach Momoko, who is Japanese, probably has like a fun Japanese angle on the character. I believe it. That's the one I'm most excited for. I mean, I'm excited for Ultimate Spider-Man, but I wasn't not going to be. Well, I'm excited for all three, because in addition to those, we're going to have an Ultimate Universe one shot, which I imagine is going to spin out into a larger The Ultimates story. Okay. But I think it's a really strong statement of purpose that um, this new Ultimate Universe, which we know is going to be like focusing on international intrigue type issues, mm-hmm. is uh, the two solo superheroes we're going to follow are uh, Spider-Man and Black Panther. Like those are the main two heroes is what they're telling us. Yeah. Peach Momoko is close to her source material. Brian Edward Hill is close to his source material. Ultimate Spider-Man is so uh, mysterious. But I think this is going to be... The theme of the new Ultimate Universe is going to be superheroes as political thriller, which was kind of the guarantee of the original, original Ultimate Universe, but that got dragged through Mark Millar politics. So I'm just really excited that, like, we're getting to try this whole take again, but with somebody whose politics I kind of like. And who is a better writer. Certainly a better writer, has more uh, sensitivity and just more talent. Yeah. And and those two pulls are so exciting, especially Brian Edward Hill. You kind of get the feeling he's like, hey, let's try this again. Uh, last time it didn't go well for you, but I know you got it. Yeah, that's why I'm also like, 
oh, he's Hickman clearly trusts Brian Edward Hill in some fashion. And, you know, maybe there was some external reasons why the other one fell apart. Maybe, you know, it was just a bad book. Who knows? Everyone's allowed one flop. Chip Zdarsky has has a, a couple at Marvel. Sure. Um, yeah, he does. But he that's does. where we're going right now is um, Hickman is doing this like weird, funky fourth world style solo series that he's just doing in his corner. And mm-hmm. then we're getting this new new relaunched Ultimate Universe that I could not be more excited about. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, can't wait to read it. New year, new universe. Yeah. And we deserve one after the shit we've done to this universe. Ugh. Yeah. Looking forward, Elias, what do we have to look forward to next time? Next time, we are finally going to be watching Howard the Duck. I know Long we teased promised. it last time. Long promised. Uh, we're going to we're gonna release it, and we've got something special to go along with it. Uh, but we will uh, save that information for, you know, when we release the episode it just listeners keep an eye out we got some exciting stuff planned in the next couple weeks and months yep it's gonna be fun uh but where can they find you in the meantime not many places been doing letterboxd a lot recently i'm on tumblr still you can find me at rambling moose at most of those places what about you elias you're a little bit more out there than me these days uh not really not so much it still exists on on the site that is getting genuinely more hellish by the millisecond at Quetzal ish Q U E T Z E L I S H. But the best place to reach me is my email at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, this episode was edited by Livian Safir. Our theme music is Excelsior by Carol Romo. And we'll see you again in a couple weeks for The Duck. Whack. Thank you.